educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. And welcome aboard to Wednesday. And my goodness, it's still 55 degrees here at 507. Wednesday, January 31. Uh, welcome. Uh, truth over tribalism. Let's lift up instead of tear down, shall we? Uh, it's a jam-packed show today. Coming up in just a second, uh, Mr. Richard Moberly, Dean of your University of Nebraska School of Law. And in the second half of the show, Aaron Sandiford is going to join us uh, from Nebraska Examiner. Uh, but before we go any further without question, the biggest highlight of my day is Mr. Johnny Cadillac, producer extraordinaire, is back from his little uh, vacation. Johnny, welcome home. Thank you. Uh, I would say that my buddy Ryan, who I traveled with, says you're welcome for the warm weather that we brought back from Miami (laughs) to here in Lincoln. But it is nice to come back from warmer weather to not be hit with brutally below freezing temperatures so yeah well welcome back sounds like you uh you did what you went to do it sounds like your voice is a little scratchy and uh yep it's not fully there but it was it was an adventure it was a it was a nice vacation it was a nice time away yeah well we missed you welcome back thank you uh well uh it is an important uh show lots to get to today but welcome back richard moberly dean of the university of nebraska school of law thank you yeah thanks for having me back on absolutely how's the the new semester starting off we're uh doing well week four i think we're in okay. and uh okay. students are kind of getting into the groove now after we made it through those first few weeks with brutal cold and snow yeah um, yeah, so things are going great at the law yeah, school. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, taking your evening uh, out from outdoors in st- inside the studio. We appreciate it very much. Uh, well, Richard, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Obviously, we always ask you to come on to talk about uh, the latest updates uh, in former President Trump's uh, legal challenges, and we're going to get to those issues. Uh, but this really caught my eye that you shared with me earlier today, that the University of Nebraska College of Law uh, will begin operating an innocence clinic this fall so uh, talk a little bit about that I just think that's a fascinating development right this is a clinic where our third-year law students will work with a professor on cases where it's alleged that there was a a wrongful conviction so obviously the famous one that everybody in Nebraska will know about is the Beatrice six yes Um, and we partnered with the Midwest Innocence Project which does this for a living um, and then I want to just give a, a shout out to Kayla Mueller, who's our director of public interest program, who put together a fantastic grant application. And we received a $600,000 grant from the Department of Justice to nice. run this program. Um, so we, we think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. There's about 41 cases already with the Midwest Innocence Project that our students can take on and start moving through the clinic, hopefully next fall. Well, and... Uh You know, because you're in the business of training uh, tomorrow's uh, attorneys, um, you know, it's just inevitable. We've got over 5,500 people incarcerated uh, here in Nebraska. And, uh, you know, statistics show, uh, studies show that, you know, as much as 4 to 6 percent of people incarcerated in the U.S. uh, prisons are actually innocent. In Nebraska, that would translate, reading from your news release, uh, the college's news release, to as many as 300 individuals uh, currently serving sentences for crimes in Nebraska 
<clears throat> that they did not commit. Now, again, that's a statistic, uh, and so who knows how <clears throat> what the actual numbers are. But, yes, you mentioned the Beatrice Six, a well-known case where <clears throat> uh, those combined individuals spent more than 70 years in prison here in Nebraska, uh, collectively, all six of them, uh, for the rape and murder of a 68-year-old woman in Beatrice, uh, and they were all innocent. Right. And I think one of the great things about this clinic, from my perspective, is you know, regardless of your political persuasion, yeah. these are hot political times, nobody wants innocent people in jail. Right? So if we can figure out a way to get the truly innocent who, through whatever reason in the system, um, got caught up and wrongfully convicted, having them freed would be a great thing for justice. And from our perspective, I mean, given those numbers, um, we know we're educating future defense attorneys and prosecutors sure. and judges and so if we provide training on the front end of things that may go wrong in a prosecution regardless of what role those people take in the criminal justice system they'll be able to kind of identify those and spot those and stop them yeah exactly <clears throat> well it's an important project keep me posted I've, <clears throat> I've shared with our listeners before I early in my career I, I'm, I don't have a law degree uh, I barely have a, a journalism degree but anyway um, uh, I spent uh, six years in the Nebraska Attorney General's office and communications and policy and lobbying and those types of things and uh, so yes I'm, I'm familiar with the system and uh, <clears throat> and I have worked I worked um, I've worked with the Beatrice six folks again separate from my time in the Attorney General's office on another project I worked on but I got to know some of those people and um, it, it's just a it's it's the worst nightmare in the judicial system that you could imagine uh, that these people were convicted and now I talk about uh, the cost, not only the cost of those six people and the lives that they gave up, 70 years combined, but now uh, the county of uh, Gage County in Beatrice is paying <laughs> through the nose, right, right. <laughs> and rightly so, for those folks. And uh, so it was a tremendous cost to the taxpayers. Right. And, you know, sometimes, like in that case, there was uh, misconduct. Um, you know, and in other cases, it's... Uh, bad luck, it's false confessions, there's, there's all sorts of reasons that these convictions happen. And so it's good to have a group come through and take a look um, at cases that raise those issues, I think. And so we're excited for our students to be able to have that opportunity. Good. Well, how can, uh, how can people learn more about, uh, about the clinic and, and keep involved and, and keep informed? Well, um, we did a press release today, yes. right? And we're, um, it'll probably be a little radio silence for a while as we search for a director. Um, okay. And they can certainly reach out to Kayla Mueller in our um, Career Development Office, Director of Public Interest Programs. Um, Amber Ediger, and uh, I know her son Miles is listening right now. Nice, She's nice. our uh, Communications Director, and uh, she'd be great to talk to as well. And they can always just reach out to me, too. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to put this at the top of the hour because I, I reached out to some associates across the country today about this uh, project, and so I know... I know people are interested. So, Great. Well, anyway. I appreciate you letting me talk about it. We're pretty excited. It's our 10th clinic, uh, and to give our students practical experiences before they head out our doors um, is really unique. So we're Good. excited. Good. Well, as our listeners know, I've, I've asked you, you're so kind to share your, uh, your valuable time with our listeners to help us walk through the facts uh, with uh, uh, you know, former President Trump, uh, unprecedented. 
uh, you know, uh, problems, legal problems uh, that he is facing. And so anyway, I just wanted to dive into it because as we've said often on this show, you can find the rhetoric and the political uh, fiery rhetoric uh, in a lot of different places, cable TV and maybe other radio stations. So we want to stick with the facts and, and try to inform and educate people. So uh, so the one, uh, the one case that uh, I wanted to ask you about is the status of the January 6th federal election interference case um, and uh, uh, President, former President Trump's claim that he is immune from prosecution. Is that what we're waiting on? We are waiting on that. Um, yes, so that case, I think the last time I came out here in the beginning of January, that case was being argued in front of the Court of Appeals. So just as a reminder, that's in the District Court of the District of Columbia. And the President Trump made that claim that he was immune from all criminal prosecutions for anything um, uh, during the time that he was president. And the judge in that case um, denied that motion, said that there was no absolute immunity for presidents in criminal cases. President Trump appealed that, and in somewhat of a surprise, the, the judge um, set an abeyance and said, you know, basically put a stay on the case while that case went up on appeal. And at that moment, at end of December, beginning of January, the Court of Appeals seemed to be on a relatively expedited, expedited time frame in terms of the, the length of time they gave for briefing and arguments. And then the beginning of the January, they had arguments on that claim that President Trump said, I'm you know, absolutely immune from any criminal liability from incidents while I'm president. Um, and here we are roughly three weeks later and still waiting on a ruling, and nothing is allowed to happen in that case. Um, until that happens, until a ruling comes down, um, then most likely President Trump will appeal that to the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. delay it yet again. Of course, mm -hmm. this case was supposed to begin uh, for trial in March 4th. March 4th, and I, I, almost uh, just a little over a month away. And, you know, I, I think that's We're not likely make impossible. That. We're not going to make that, I yeah. don't think. I mean, I think even if we found out tomorrow, there'd be weeks of briefing in front of the Supreme Court, several more weeks for them to reach a decision. We're talking beginning of April, uh, middle of April, uh, before anything came down. And we'd be looking at uh, a summer trial, perhaps. Yeah. And, and in those deliberations, and I'm sorry, I don't remember, but, but the, one of the attorneys uh, gave the example uh, of immunity and suggested, well, okay, um, does that mean that President Biden or any president could order SEAL Team 6 to execute uh, his, uh, uh, his opponent and have absolute immunity? Right, and the, this was the battle of hypotheticals. They yes. kept on trying to outdo each other with <laughs> yes. hypotheticals of what would happen. And President Trump's attorney's position was um, until he is indicted and convicted then, uh, of an indictment, then he can't be criminally prosecuted. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, folks, we're going to take this little break and come back and continue our conversation with Richard Moberly. Come on back. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. And welcome back to Hump Day. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, boy, if I was uh, not here on the radio, I think I'd be, not that I have a backyard to barbecue in, but if I did, uh, I'd have my radio set up in the backyard and cooking some uh, Nebraska steaks uh, tonight. Still 54 degrees. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, coming up uh, after the news break at the bottom of the hour, uh, Mr. Aaron Sandiford, a reporter with 
Nebraska Examiner. We'll catch up with Aaron and find out what's going on in his world. And uh, and let me just tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's show. It's the Lincoln Business Roundtable. And we get Kevin Kester uh, from Lincoln Partnership for Economic Development and a very special guest, Kelly Ross. Uh, and Kelly is with Echo Collective. And they help refugees and immigrant women overcome the barriers that they face in rebuilding their lives uh, here in the capital city. So anyway, tune in for that. We appreciate uh, you looking forward to that. We certainly are. Uh, But we're back with Richard Moberly, Dean of the University of Nebraska School of Law. And Richard, the other case uh, that has been in the news here the past uh, few days uh, is the E. Jean Carroll case. Uh, And back in May, this writer... Eugene Carroll was awarded a combined $5 million for sexual abuse and for a 2022 denial by Trump that the jury concluded uh, defamed her. And on Friday, a jury in a separate civil defamation case awarded Eugene Carroll $83.3 million uh, for two uh, lengthy denials that Trump made in 2019 soon after Carol uh, went public with her story. She wrote a book. And so, as you said off mic when you, when you came in, this is a complicated case. It is. Um, and so, that's again, that's why I want your help in this, uh, d- uh, digging through this and, and sticking to uh, the facts and, and figuring out uh, what this all means. So, uh, your initial thoughts. Sure. Well, you know, defamation, just it's kind of a legal term of art, right? It really means a false statement that you made that impugned someone's reputation. So um, the defamation aspect of this was his denial of her allegations. And then, and that was the $5 million, as you said, and then after the $5 million award, he just kept going, kept going, piled on and said more and more and started attacking her personally, um, much more than just a denial, I think. And so that led them to actually amend a previous complaint um, that uh, and and bring that to trial over the last several um, several weeks and of course wrapped up in all of this is at the core of it is this alleged sexual abuse mm-hmm. and then part of the reason she was able to bring this claim it's not a criminal action yeah, because, just to be clear because these allegations were not allegations proven fact uh, happened back in the 90s uh, in a department store in New York City. That's right. And the statute of limitations had passed for any criminal liability, but New York has a law that allows victims to bring claims for damages based on that with, um, I think it might be no statute of limitations or at least a lengthy statute of limitations, so she was able to bring that claim. Uh, and the original jury found, as you said, that that happened as well. So this case was really about damages because the judge early on said the secondary defamatory statements were basically equivalent to what the jury had already found to be defamatory. And so we're just going to talk about damages now. And um, and, she, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but uh, just to clarify, so uh, the original case uh, was a, a jury of, of his nine peers uh, and concluded unanimously that the guilty. Right. <clears throat> But this was or just liable. Or yeah. liable. Beg yeah. your pardon. Yes, it's not criminal. It's civil liable, um, and so. But this was just with a judge. No, this was also. A oh, jury. it was a jury. I beg your pardon. Yeah, I'm thinking of the New jury. York case That's right. or the uh, other civil the case. Other. I beg your pardon. Yes, this also was a jury of nine people. New York 
residence uh, peers of, of former President Trump. And it took them about three hours, uh, same in the first case, to come up with a pretty phenomenal award of $65 million in punitive damages, I think, is of that 83.3 was punitive. Um, and there was also, you know, sorts of strange things that happened in the case. I mean, the, the attorney for President Trump isn't a uh, very experienced litigator. Elena Haba, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, and was um, routinely admonished by the judge for the things, you know, not things I wouldn't have let my evidence students do. Yes. I mean, they didn't know, how, you know, she didn't know how to get documents into evidence, for example, on several occasions. And, and, I, and, I, even, and I even read uh, that the judge was actually patient with her and helping her. Well, he was, and I, and I think oftentimes that's what judges do, um, until some of the arguments got a little. Um, uh, I think uh, out of control, maybe, perhaps, and the judge was, would have to shut down, right? The judge was very clear on what could and could not be argued. They were not going to relitigate whether the sexual abuse had actually occurred. Um, the, that had already been decided by the previous jury, and they, the Trump team wanted to get back into that a little bit, and the judge just put a boundary around that. And again, you're not here to uh, to make political comments, but I will. It just seemed like to me uh, that this attorney that President Trump had was just parroting political talking points. And uh, and then the, the sideshow even became greater, uh, the circus even became greater, because the former president actually showed up in court, did not have to be there. He didn't have to be there. He came for a while, and then during closing arguments... And what many attorneys would think is a as a big is a is a breach of decorum stood up in the middle of the plaintiff's attorney closing argument and walked out, um, which you know went basically hand in hand with the plaintiff's whole theory of yeah. the case. Is this guy doesn't think rules apply to him? Is what she argued, and and he demonstrated that right in the middle. So I, I saw <clears throat> Eugene Carroll's attorney uh, on a talk show the other night, and she said that they had two missions: one to show that Trump is a bully. And number two, he can't control himself. And she said he proved the jurors exactly those two points. Yeah, through that type of behavior. There was also times where he was kind of muttering under his breath that the jurors could hear about which trials and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what happens next? Is Will there be an appeal? Uh, and what Almost does that certainly. look like? He's yeah. a, I just read news reports today. He's already interviewing new attorneys. Okay, well, it's smart. Um, the interesting, interesting thing on a civil appeal is, you know, for that $5 million verdict, he had to put about $5.5 million in an account that the court manages. During um, the appeal. During the appeal. So that everybody knows that that money is there for the plaintiff should the appeals um, not be successful. A court might manage five million. I don't know that a court's really going to manage eighty-three point three wow. million. That's a lot of money, and wow. um, unlikely that he'll put that up in cash. But he will have to get some sort of irrevocable line of credit or put some collateral up for that. He's got to find a bank that will give him a loan, um, and then that is leading up to eventually we're going to find in the next week or so probably the New York case that you mentioned, yes. where there might be three hundred and sixty million dollars in damages that I'm sure he will appeal as well. But this starts to uh, ask for a lot of cash from former President Trump to, to be uh, put in bonds while he appeals. Again, uh, the interview I saw with uh, Eugene Carroll's attorney, um, they strategically, uh, she was talking about the deposition that she conducted with the former president sometime back, and they purposely put him on record of what he said his value, cash, cash value was. Mm. And he says like $400 million. Right. So. Yeah. They put all that in, into evidence. You know, and the other, the other, you think, just think about expenses of litigation. We haven't talked much about that, but we've been talking about 
four different criminal trials, 93 different indictments, um, the the New York civil case, this civil case. He, he I read somewhere that he has $50 million in legal fees already, wow. much of it paid for from a, a political PAC um, that yes. he started collecting money for right after uh, the election. So that will continue to also be a burden. And I wonder, you know, um, the toll of the finances on top of all of the other on this has really got to be adding up. Wow. Wow. What does this do? And we've, we're about out of time here, Richard. But what does this do for for your work? I mean, does this uh, emphasis on the law uh, get more students interested? You know, I hope so. But it's a it's a it's a touchy subject, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone has very strong feelings about yeah. this. So we yeah. have to be really careful how we talk about it. Richard Moberly, thank you, folks. Enjoy the news. And we'll be back after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Educating. Informing. Entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. I know you've got other options other than listening to me drone on, but uh, uh, appreciate it very much. And my thanks to Richard Moberly uh, from the University of Nebraska School of Law. Always great to have uh, Professor uh, Dean, uh, the Dean of the Law School, on to help us. Uh, you know, we like to stick to the facts, and uh, so I appreciate Richard's uh, time uh, in the studio. Uh, very much. Uh, just a reminder, we'd love to have you follow us on the X and the Facebook accounts for the show. Um, yeah, because you'll, you'll get some added uh, entertainment, hopefully. Boy, I tell you what, after last night's little monologue about the uh, Swift, uh, Taylor Swift and Kel- uh, Travis Kelsey uh, that I uh, talked about last night. Boy, we we stirred things up on the on the socials a little bit. So, uh, and you always get a preview of what's coming up uh, on the today's show if you're paying attention. And uh, and you can continue the conversation. I'd love to continue after hours uh, topics uh, that we talk about or even topics we don't talk about. So anyway, follow us on the socials. Appreciate it very much. And if you miss anything, you can always find us on your favorite podcast platform any darn time you like or just go to klin.com and go to the dan parsons page and scroll down and find the episode you're looking for well it's my pleasure to introduce on the phone lines uh mr aaron sandiford reporter for nebraska examiner aaron welcome aboard Hey, Dan. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll get you in studio one of these days. I know we talked about that, but you're a busy man. You are you commute back and forth from Omaha, and you got a family uh, to help with. And so, anyway, we'll get you in here one of these days. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm driving I'm driving softball players, young softball players to strength training right now. <laughs> nice. All right. The future uh, stars of Nebraska softball. I love it. <laughs> if only. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, uh, well tell them hi. You know, I told you when we were texting earlier, I'd love to embarrass uh, your teenage kids on the air if if you ever bring oh, them in. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well Aaron, I, I again, I appreciate your time as well. I know obviously you're busy. You're pulling triple duty. So, uh I appreciate it very much, but you know, um <clears throat> You know, some of the issues, uh, the stories that you've been working on uh, that I wanted to chat about was, uh, you know, it is political season and uh, oh my gosh, yes. and, and we're getting geared up uh, for really one of the most historic, I think, uh, a lot of people think one of the most historic elections in, in, than anyone can remember uh, here in Nebraska and also nationwide. And, you know, we were just talking with Dean Moberly about the presidential uh, race, well, not the campaign side of things, but uh, the challenges. Of a uh, of a candidate uh, running for president while uh, appearing in court, and so obviously uh, the nation will continue to be focused on the presidential race. But we've got some uh, some important races here in Nebraska uh, coming up this year as well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an unusually active uh, couple of weeks. I mean, we've gotten some new challengers to incumbent uh, members of our federal delegation here in Nebraska, our all GOP delegation. Uh, a couple of members got some uh, uh, higher profile Republican challengers, uh, and and then we've of course had uh, this weekend's uh, meeting of the Nebraska Republican Party State Central Committee, uh, where they. Uh, talked about some things and decided to make some endorsements. Yes, and what was fascinating, and again, I, you know, lifelong Republican, I've been involved in the party through the years, not so much anymore, because, uh, well, anyway, we won't, I, I don't need to talk about <laughs> that, but anyway, I'm very familiar uh, with the Nebraska Republican Party, and I can't remember in my memory, Aaron, of uh, the, the situation that we're seeing now that none of the five congressional delegation, uh, two United States senators and three Congress people, none of them were endorsed by the state Republican Party. Yeah, well, and, and to be clear, none of them sought the party okay. endorsement, okay. which is uh, which the folks in the party have argued is required by a constitutional provision, uh, although in previous years, if we're being honest, the, the, the ask for that endorsement was, uh, in most years, a phone call yes. <laughs> that said, would you like the endorsement? Yeah, <laughs> but, and, if, but, and if I remember reading, I think it was your story, they, they've come up with some kind of goofy questionnaire for them and asking them favorite ice cream and i don't know maybe that's an exaggeration well, that, 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 yeah that, there was a there was a new process this year that went a little uh deeper and in different directions than it had in the previous years and a lot of people who uh got their hands on those candidates up and down the ballot uh were surprised by some of the questions and and you know some of them privately made fun of it uh they didn't want to put their name by it and i always kind of take that with a grain of salt but these are people that are supportive of the current party regime and people who are not and and it was pretty universally uh uh discussed uh and 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 they i i think the hard part here is it's like what you've seen in arizona wisconsin yeah. and now texas where the the core activist base of the party has taken over the party mm -hmm. and and sometimes 
it's it's easier. Uh, sometimes it's easier to run those things than uh, it's easier to think you know how to run those things than to do it. It's a hard challenge when you take over. Oh, oh absolutely. And and again, I have some background there, and I I don't doubt that <clears throat> for a moment. But yeah, just to remind our listeners, uh, there was a shakeup in the state Republican Party. Two years ago? Three years ago? I yeah, think. in 2022, yeah. That's right, 2022. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> one of the benefits or one of the perks of being uh, the highest elected state office holder uh, in, in Nebraska, obviously, is the governor, uh, you get to basically run uh, the political party. And so uh, when Governor Ricketts served for eight years, uh, he got to put his stamp on the Nebraska Republican Party, uh, helped fundraising, uh, donate a lot of personal money to the to the <clears throat> to the uh, party, and uh, you know got to have some say in uh, in who was hired as executive director and staff. And so anyway, wh- for whatever yeah, reasons, well, go ahead. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the, the historically the governors of Nebraska have always led the party. This is one of the first times that I, I can honestly say the governor does not lead the Nebraska Republican Party. It's a group that is somewhat separate and and distinct. Um, With Ricketts, there were, and it's similar with a lot of governors, I mean, every time that the Republican Party fractures, there's often uh, a question of direction and what flavor of Republican they want. Um, But but, uh, the, the last time that it was probably like this was the early 2000s when Democrats held a lot more statewide offices. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there was a reason. And that's what I think is baffling for a lot of people who maybe don't get into this in infighting or, you know, inside baseball of of the, the apparatus of the political party in the state. They, they they have, you know, they're registered with the party and they vote that way. The majority of obviously were a red state. But I think a lot of people who who don't keep track of that don't really understand. And and it and it really has become an interesting kind of sidebar that's become some of those fight and again in any organization you have people that are going to disagree and you know that's nor i don't care if it's the local kiwanis club or the state republican party that's that's just human nature uh but 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 some of these infighting uh situations have spilled over into the public yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I think a lot of people need to understand about state parties is they're already facing some financial challenges uh, in trying to raise money in an era where wealthy donors can create their own independent uh, political expenditure operations and run around the state party instead of through it. Uh, and they don't even have to go through campaigns really anymore. They can just do what they want. Yep. And so it, it's already a challenging environment. And And now like in the Nebraska Republican Party, by choosing not to endorse any of the five. Now, granted, they didn't. They would argue they didn't have a choice because none of them applied. Um, but but even by not endorsing in the races where there were no other Republicans, the, the delegation folks, people who are defending them, would argue they made a choice by not endorsing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but by angering those five people or their campaigns or their supporters all over the state, what they've effectively done is remove one of their easiest avenues toward fundraising. And, and I don't know what that means for the future of the party right now or in the, in the near term. I, I don't know. They, they would argue that they are stronger now than they've ever been at the local level, that they've reorganized, that they are starting to try to build the grassroots up. Uh, but, but you know from your time in politics, 
why does a state party exist? Yeah, to what elect Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how do you elect Republicans? What, what is one of the things you need to elect Republicans? You, you, need, you need dollars and you need people. Right. They have the people, but not the dollars. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they would argue before they had the dollars and not the people. And so it's just an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy. And I don't know, I don't know what the future holds, but it's, it's, it's the most interesting sideshow in, in Nebraska politics. It absolutely is. Well, Aaron, hang on if you can, uh, and we'll come back after this break and continue this conversation because, yeah, let's dig into some of these races and whatever else you'd like to chat about. So anyway, folks, hold on and come back after these messages. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Wednesday show. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, let me tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's show. It's the Lincoln Business Roundtable. Uh, and tomorrow we get Kevin Kester. Uh, Kevin uh, leads the Lincoln Partnership for Economic Development, uh, which is a public-private uh, organization housed under the <clears throat> Lincoln Chamber of Commerce and uh, funded by uh, private businesses, and also uh, they get money from the city of Lincoln. And so uh, Kevin is bringing, so we'll get an update on uh, from the LPD from Kevin. And then in the second half of the show, a very special guest, uh, Kelly Ross with Echo Collective. And Echo Collective uh, helps refugees and immigrant women overcome the barriers that they face in rebuilding their lives uh, here in the capital city. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. We hope you'll tune in and join us. Uh, we're back with Aaron Sandford, reporter for uh, Nebraska Examiner, a uh, nonprofit newsroom here in the state. You know, there's no paywall. Uh, they'll take your donations because that's how they survive. They don't take subscriptions. But uh, uh, NebraskaExaminer.com, Aaron, right? Yes, sir. All right, dot .com. NebraskaExaminer.com. Uh, sign up for their newsletter and, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and digest all the great work that they do at Nebraska Examiner. It's uh, They're following the legislature and obviously uh, this important political uh, season that we have here in Nebraska. So, Aaron, we were chatting about the Republican Party and, <clears throat> and some of those races. Anything else uh, that I'm missing uh, in that uh, world? The biggest, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest thing to watch that really happened in the last couple of weeks since the last time we talked is uh, in the second district in the Omaha area. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a Republican challenger uh, for Don Bacon. You actually have two, uh, but you have a Republican challenger uh, to the right of, of Bacon who is trying to run a populist campaign, uh, pledging its name is Dan Fry. If, it, if, if your listeners remember 2014, he ran a Tea Party challenge uh, to. Lee Terry's right during the tail end of that fervor against government spending and bailouts. Almost beat him. And, 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 and almost beat him. Yeah, came, came within, I think, six points uh, in, in, with, with $51,000. And, and so it was, uh, it was a pretty... Uh, it was a pretty serious uh, moment when Fry decided to run in this race. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to run in 2016 after almost beating Terry, uh, and, and then Bacon ran. So there's some history between those two. And uh, to get the race that we probably would have gotten in 16, uh, we're going to get that now in 2024 in a presidential year and uh, in a year where the 
presidential candidate at the top of the ticket might be the biggest differentiator between the two Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if if I'm <clears throat> if memory serves me right, that was uh, in 2014. He almost beat uh, Congressman Terry, uh, but then uh, Congressman Terry was wounded a little. You know, he lost right that race. Yeah, in I the mean, general election. Yeah, what typically he lost to Brad Ashford, yeah. uh, the late Brad Ashford, um, and and the what what typically happens in these races when they're really hotly contested, uh, if it's in a purple district, and you know this, but when it's in a purple district like that, you can't depress either side of your yeah. face, yeah. <laughs> and and they're kind of a darned if they do and darned if they don't on this because if if uh, the 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 folks on the populist right who support Fry say that if uh, bacon wins that they'll that a lot of them will stay home and that Tony Vargas state senator from Omaha will uh, win election as a Democrat and the 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 bacon folks have to worry uh, that or I mean and the fry folks have to worry that if they win that some of the bacon voters right. that were Biden bacon voters in that overlap district uh, might stay home so it's 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 going to be a really competitive race and that's why on Monday uh, the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee named the Omaha area race as uh, among its first most competitive races for national donors to invest in. Wow. Yeah. So the money will flow now to uh, uh, to State Senator Tony Vargas. Uh, huh. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're we're, ex- we're kind of buckling up here for in the Omaha area for a funding <laughs> uh, of a race. <laughs> And an onslaught of TV. Com- I tell you what, being in the in the public relations business, and again, I don't. I I still do some consulting, but I don't get into the advertising world. I have some friends that do that, but boy, that's where you make some money <laughs> as a consultant. Yeah, yeah. No, every time I see those people uh, cashing checks and driving their cars, <laughs> I, I I I rethink my life choices. My wife and I are a teacher and a reporter. Yeah, so we yeah. did not choose that lifestyle. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it, it's something, and I'm. And I'm honestly confused. I uh, I don't know Congressman Bacon well. I know him. He's been on the show several times. We'll have him back. Um, <clears throat> but I just I, I don't get um, I don't get why people aren't supporting him. Um, yeah. It, 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 is it? I mean, because he I mean, it, didn't he just announce that he he will support President Trump or former President Trump? Yeah, he did at a, at a Douglas County Republican Party event that I attended, what he said was uh, he will support the Republican nominee, including Trump, Mm -hmm. uh, against Joe Biden. It's a little bit of a hair split there, but it's still there to make plain that it's not like he's going to openly oppose the Republican ticket. He just preferred, he said, he told me he preferred uh, two other candidates uh, for that office. Tim Scott was his first choice, and uh, his wife is fairly supportive of Nikki Haley and his two. Uh, so I, I think they would prefer a different flavor, but they are they are willing to play th- for the team if they need to uh, in that party. But the, um, the the most interesting thing and the real reason I think most people are are split on him among Republican voters is you know that new sort of purity test about how supportive are you of former President Donald Trump? <coughs> yeah. Well, if anyone listened to my last segment, I, I restrained myself of not, you know, I, I do have some strong feelings about, uh, about uh, the former president. And, uh, you know, we talked about these legal cases. And uh, I, I, for one, uh, have a difficult time understanding 
um, <clears throat> you know, some of those legal problems that he has. Um, and, and, and anyway, just people blindly supporting. But anyway, I'm not going to get into it's that. A, it's, a very, yeah, it's a very different animal. And, and, and the other thing that, that you will hear from people uh, who are considering Dan Fry or who are hard on bacon is they, they, they say they don't like his votes on like the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which was actually supported by President Trump when he was president. Uh, it's just that he didn't want it to pass when President Biden was president. Well, and, and because Bacon voted for it, he, he got criticized by Trump. Well, and now I've seen I I don't have notes in front of me to recall these, but there are politicians around the country, uh, office holders around the country, uh, again Republican uh, office holders uh, in Congress that support uh, former President Trump, uh, who voted against that infrastructure bill. Uh, but now we're in their districts that are uh, benefiting from those dollars and getting those projects into their community that are now bragging about uh, and supporting these projects. And so, anyway. It, it, it is one of the hardest things. Uh, getting, getting really comfortable with hypocrisy is one of the, 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 the hardest parts of doing this work. And, and you have to call it out when you see it. But I've seen the number of national ribbon cuttings I've seen by people who cast votes. Yep. against the infrastructure bill showing up at airports and interstate bridges and uh, broadband connections is a lot. Um, it, it's, it's, it's in the aggregate, it's easy to say you're against infrastructure until you need it. Well, yeah, because those are bringing jobs into their district, it's bringing money into their districts, and those are important projects. And uh, Well, in Nebraska, I had two of, the, two of the federal delegation that voted for that bill and were pretty instrumental in Deb Fisher, uh, the senator, uh, actually from here in Lincoln, and then uh, Bacon, both of them supported that effort. And I believe, uh, I, I have to look at Congressman Flood's record again, I don't want to misstate it, but I, I know that those two did. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of our two United States senators, uh, some developments again uh, just in the past uh, few days, um, and we got about a minute left here, Aaron. But uh, uh, both have filed officially for reelection, and yeah. uh, and uh, Senator Ricketts uh, picked up a, an opponent. Yeah, John Glenn Weaver uh, was actually in that race pretty early. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he he was an Air Force lieutenant colonel. Uh, he. Uh, he is definitely in the same vein as Dan Fry, very uh, an emphatic Trump supporter, uh, who who is now has the NEGOP's endorsement against Ricketts, um, and, and is basically uh, running a campaign uh, against what he describes as the cabal, the people who are, uh, you know, the the, the unseen powers in yeah. Washington. Yeah. Sort of and Senator Fisher still does not have a Democratic opponent, but she's got an independent, uh, Dan Osborne from Omaha. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Aaron, thanks. Hopefully uh, you made it to softball practice. Uh, good luck for those uh, young, young women. And uh, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, folks. That's the show. Uh, enjoy your evening. Go do good things. We'll see you tomorrow.